It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. to time enough podcast it's where we travel through time to get into all the episodes of the twilight zone and beyond this is matt here coming back uh, from the mission log podcast is john champion welcome back hey i am here i am back all the way from mission log good to be here man and uh, i know this is your request and and this is one i had not come across before so you know just a few weeks ago i was uh just doing the, you know, getting ready for it. And I was like, oh crap, Buster Keaton's in the signing. I know he was yeah, in the Twilight Zone, but uh, who yeah. apparently had a pretty notable second career on television, which I'd never, because he had his own show for two years, I think, and uh, would not, show not up very long here, yeah. there, and everywhere. Um, well, it, it's, I think this is a cool time, late 50s to, you know, mid to late 60s, when a lot of these really famous classic movie stars get this second career and and some better than others you know you you've got buster keaton here and then uh charlie chaplin of course you know maintain somewhat a career even you know late and in exile wrote his book uh and then you have people on the other end of the spectrum like bella lugosi making all the ed wood movies but but it, it must have been very cool you know to be part of that tv audience late 50s early 60s and you turn out like, wow there's somebody who you know their their fame started in the 1920s like that's that's kind of cool to me and watching this episode was a bit of a mind blower for me because um i had seen his 20 stuff i hadn't seen his talkies i hadn't seen his tv appearances so watching this last week was the first time i actually heard him talk oh wow cool <laughs> um and last night i put on a little bit of speak easily just out of curiosity um I, okay. I couldn't that's on youtube what no beer is not on youtube i would have watched that if, if that had although keaton himself said speak easily he was proud of and what no beer he was not so okay because <laughs> he was because yeah. he was drinking too much beer for that one but uh right <laughs> but oh, watch well. it. it it was okay it was you know it's like a pre-code movie right uh yeah he, he his his voice is good and when he was still like 36 because in this twilight zone and he's got the ravages of age on his voice a little bit yeah. right yeah um, i figured out he was 67 when this was right made. yeah but yeah in 19 in 1932 uh his speaking voice it, it, it was pretty good i mean he did do vaudeville so i guess he had to already yeah. have that skill and uh but yeah it was it was just weird like seeing a younger keaton talking that that really didn't compute for me so right <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know just physically he looks very different here like uh you know chaplin as the tramp could play that character for a good 30 years and uh you know keaton as he aged got a little broader a little heavier doesn't quite look like the guy that you remember that you know skinny lanky kid in the general or steamboat bill or something else well, the thing is, he didn't really add accoutrements like 
Charlie Chaplin or um, uh, Harold Lloyd were pretty handsome guys that kind of like derped themselves up a little bit, you know, right. with the tramp, exactly. you know, Harold Lloyd yeah. would often go with the Clark Kent glasses just to make them look a little less like movie yeah. starish. And, um, and with Keaton, it was, it was the eyes. And then sometimes that little flat uh, hat that you see him in here. So I think that's kind of a nod to a look that you would have seen him in, but, but still not quite exact. It wasn't quite a signature as like Chaplin as the tram. Yeah. Since I've been drying Keaton, I am, I'm, I've got my old timey hats here, but none of them are flat enough. Right. So <laughs> right. I, to, yeah, I gotta get a flatter one. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So get the, get the nice. pork pie hat. Um, yeah. Let me roll through a bit of the trivia on this one before. Yeah, I, I mean, we probably will just be talking about Keaton quite a bit, but let's yep. get, the, mm -hmm. get the get the business out of the way. Yeah. Original air date was December 15th, 1961. Norman Z. McLeod directed. He previously did so with the Marx Brothers Monkey Business and Horse Feathers, which makes him, you know, absolute gold in my book. Uh, he also directed some of the topper films. They were on my classic film obsessed aunt's bookshelf, but I never quite got around to watching those. Um, oh, Topper's I, great. Yeah, I did get to the Thin Man eventually, which were also well. When when you're five or six years old, Topper, it's like, oh, it's a ghost, and then you're like, this is, you know, when you're seven years old, it doesn't connect. Right. Uh, the Marx Brothers right. do. The Marx Brothers yeah. do. And uh, I think the Thin Man, I we had an obsession with. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I think it took to my early 20s to get that, which makes sense. You need to be able to drink martinis if you're going to yeah, be watching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's required. <laughs> yeah. Richard Matheson wrote the teleplay, though I do hope they were letting Buster Keaton uh, punch up some of the gags. I don't, I, I mean, that was his job in the 40s. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Woodrow Mulligan was played by Buster Keaton. I'm probably going to be spewing trivia about Buster for this entire episode. I already <laughs> have been. But if the name is not ringing a loud enough bell, just watch Sherlock Jr. on YouTube right now. Just pause the podcast, watch it, and then get back to us. <laughs> <laughs> Rolio is no slouch. He was played by Stanley Adams. Adams would pop up in films such as Death of a Salesman and Breakfast at Tiffany's. But the Trekkie and me cannot neglect to mention that he was Cyrano Jones in Star Trek's The Trouble with Tribbles. There we go. Yeah. Milton Parsons was Professor Gilbert. He may have not been a beautiful butterfly, but he was a character actor standard in the 40s to 60s, appearing in a multitude of those workmanlike roles. William Lava provided the old-timey score at the beginning and end of this one. If that's not good enough for you, he also scored the 60s Looney Tunes cartoons and composed a theme for Gunsmoke. And scored the music for my favorite Zorro, 1939 Zorro's Fighting Legion, which I did that. I liked that when I was eight. So I don't, oh, I don't cool. get it sometimes. You have many varied tastes. That's great. Yeah. That's one of the ones you would get off of the, um, off the supermarket racks. That's why yeah, my mom would <laughs> right. like organize the cards and stuff at supermarkets. So I'd go and yeah. you know, find the, the public access, not public access, public domain. Uh, right. And I went on yes. like a two-year search to find the second tape to complete the Buck Rogers serial. I only had like oh, episodes one through six, right? Oh, so man. That, that's how you were driven crazy in the 80s, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on. I'm going to show you the prologue. You, you get a nice short one as opposed to the books some people have yeah, been getting right? recently. Yeah. I think, oh, you got a book last time, I think. <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a long one. Here we go. 
Mr. Mulligan, a rather dour critic of his times, is shortly to discover the import of that old phrase, out of the frying pan into the fire, said fire burning brightly at all times in the twilight zone. Okay. Uh, for me, the most burning question for this episode is a uh, time helmet or Spock helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I absolutely thought exactly the same thing. And I want to see this prop so badly because in my mind's eye, it had, well, it does have that little spinny barber pole kind of part of it. I thought that it had to be red and white, but the rest of it, I couldn't quite tell. Is it black and silver? Is it also red and white? Um, I love that the sparklers are already lit. So you know that there was some PA on set who had to make sure that they were always refilling and relighting the sparklers when they showed it. Um, but I, I love that prop. I want to cosplay that prop. I think it's great. I hope somebody somewhere kept it. And I just love the idea of a helmet that does all of that, because that's a very late 50s, early 60s kind of thing. Like if you were watching Space Patrol, if you're watching Tom Corbett, if you were watching Buck Rogers, if you were going to order a premium, it might be a ray gun. But 99 percent of the time, it's going to be a space helmet. So this is fit right in with that. Yeah, and I. Actually, that was when I was watching Speak Easily, but yeah, then I was seeing like the uh, Destination Moon helmets and stuff, which of course yes. those are much more streamlined. But uh, yeah, yeah, just the, that whole aesthetic of the time. And um, well, and and, and it's odd. Like this was a very nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties sci-fi, but whimsical sci-fi prop. It was not a nineteenth century sci-fi prop, you know. Like I, I feel like they went out of their way to make it look something more, more like a kid would come up with in the fifties <laughs> than, than than what a scientist would come up with in the late nineteenth century. Yeah, I guess if someone were doing this today, it'd be more like a steampunk thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, which that I mean that'd be cool too. But yeah, I definitely like this. Yeah. Uh, the, the sparklers, you know, keeping it up. Just obviously, he's not putting himself in too much danger. At age 67, but you know, you can right. sparklers and stand in a bit of traffic, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I was, like I said, I've been hardcore into films last week, which, uh, the vehicular stuff here, the battling butler, how oh, is he? He's like, uh, be careful how you drive. Um, we're city folks and these are country folks. And then he just starts to do the most insane driving, like, ever, like, between cars going on the wrong side of the street and stuff. Of course. So, yeah, good stuff. But um yeah. uh yeah, like I said, I've been hardcoring these, so I, I've for the past months just been doing a bunch of Buster Keaton and I I still haven't even gotten to the shorts. So uh Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> now I've heard yeah. some people say the beginning and end of this is divisive, like having the silent parts, which seems weird. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, but it... It's weird that that would be divisive because I, I certainly you would hope that an audience now would be savvy enough, but I would think that an audience in 1961, 62 would be savvy enough to realize, oh, look, we're sitting down to watch a thing that stars Buster Keaton. He was a silent movie star. Um, that's that that's not a big ask out of that audience to to put themselves in the in the mindset that they were. 35 years ago watching a Buster Keaton film. I, I think that that's a, a little nod of genius 
to to honor your guest star that week oh i absolutely love it yeah. but i i am wondering like one maybe people at this point might have actually known him better from uh tv at this point so that could be could have thrown them off and what was last week's episode okay uh before this was the jungle still valley midnight sun death's head which we did um yeah those are i guess tonally that is a bit of an ask if you aren't already <laughs> familiar with and uh, i guess in the late 60s is because they would have been i know they're showing old hollywood films but maybe silent films did not yeah. make it so much to tv because they were silent i i have to wonder yeah i mean i i feel like every generation has to rediscover how brilliant those silent films are from the greats you know you talk about chaplin keaton and lloyd um, and certainly there were many other greats, but the, those three are the ones who kind of always rise to the top. And it, it feels like every several years you get those playing in a revival house or there's a new release on home video, you know, home media of some sort. Um, but I have to wonder if, say, a 15-year-old in 1961 compared to a 15 year old not not like a, a film studies major or somebody somebody like who's just really into cinema history but would they have already seen more silent movies in their media consumption diet at that time because yeah tv was showing movies when they could but that wasn't all the time there were only a handful of channels and you couldn't just go down to a store and rent something so I, I don't know. I don't know where those would be seen and how often they would be seen. I, I would think that a young audience back then would have some familiarity just because probably I think the, the, the pop culture consciousness would have absorbed a good amount of that. You know, I think today you can show somebody an image of a little tramp. And even if they haven't seen a Charlie Chaplin movie, they know that that's Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I was about to say, my introduction to silent film would be probably watching The Electric Company in the early 80s, where they had, mm. uh, I think it was a lady dressed up as a tramp doing little uh, mm. skits on The Electric Company. Um, cool. You know, Sesame Street kids couldn't handle that with no. them talking, I guess. So it was for The Electric Company. Um, That's right. And, and then from that um, public domain supermarket, Thing. I got a really terrible version of Metropolis, which ran Oof. 90 minutes, was too uh, fast. Uh, yeah. and, and the score of the whole thing, I remember the score because I did watch it a lot. Which so it's definitely neither the Jeff Mills nor the uh, Giorgio Moroder uh, correct scored. Yeah. <laughs> um, for that one, the best I saw, this was probably late 90s. So it was still a shorter version of Metropolis, but it was the mm -hmm. Alloy Orchestra, uh, you know, playing live on a, on a version. That, that was quite cool. So very cool. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I've never, never, never been able to warm up to the Marauder version, but I will put on the uh, Blu-ray of the, the, maybe it's the second the best version or most restored version, and I'll just play my own music over it. You know? Oh yeah, oh cool. So that, I mean, you, I was doing that with some of the Keaton films too, because what you get on YouTube is basically, yeah. you know, again, it's the old timey piano, which is perfect here. Um, sure. A lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Fantastic uh, here, but maybe, maybe not there not for the real thing i'd like to hear better music <laughs> yeah no i agree i totally agree if i were to make a complaint about the silent part is um they did speak they had the uh 
sped up look, which yeah. I think now when you watch a silent film, people know to play it at the right speed. usually. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I feel like that didn't really become a thing until I, you know, w within the last generation, I, I'd say within the last 30 to 40 ish years where we really got good about that. Uh, and playing things in their proper speed. I, I, I feel like if, okay, so let, let's create a scenario. If you are a young person in the early 60s and you do have access to these movies, you're probably getting them on like an eight millimeter reel that you're having to play at the school or, or maybe play on a home uh, projector. And, and the, the playback speed is probably all wrong, no matter what, no matter what you do. So I feel like most people back then probably had that as part of their language, uh, their, their internalized language about silent movies is if the runtime is just going to be completely wrong. And I, I think it was, I think it was my dad who was disappointed when we did see proper metropolis because the, the oh. workers marching in and out of the city, he didn't like yeah. the slow clump. He liked the, the sped oh, up really? one better. Yeah. Really? Oh, that's him, that, funny. that was more effective for him. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we do get a fair amount of, of gags here. Uh, which one stuck the most for you? This is definitely the most gaggy Twilight Zone. <laughs> there are a lot of gags. Some of those gags wore on me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> like, here's the thing. If you do a show where you're hiring Buster Keaton, and for that matter, Stanley Adams, who who uh, just, you know, from you and I watching Star Trek or anything else, he he's a, a guy who, who plays it up a bit. Like, we have repetitive gags when you get into the repair shop. You have Keaton. Uh, I, I, I liked the bit with the TV, but I thought the bit with the TV overstayed its welcome a bit. And then you've got the bit with the vacuum cleaner, which they do twice. And I, I wondered if that one had earned being in there twice and even getting locked in the sarcophagus. It's like we can just see that it's kind of a wooden cutout. There's no lock on it. How how could he get lost in there? You know, so I, I thought those were kind of weak. I think the strongest one, I, th I think one of the best ones was the pants. Oh, the, yeah. The bit, yeah. The bit with the pants, pure gold. What's because the message of this episode? <laughs> uh, and never leave home without your pants don't travel through time without your pants <laughs> yeah um but it, it's a, a three-part gag where where you've got the the first gag of keaton walking behind stanley adams behind rollo and then switching positions so he can be in front of him and then that alley-oop with the pants I just, all of that was timed great. It looked great. It didn't oversell or overstay its welcome. Uh, but that that's the weird, weird thing about this show is that you're, you're writing gags to take advantage of the strength of the actors that you've got. And you know that the audience knows who, mostly knows who Keaton is, and they know what his strengths are from the movies that he did 35, 40 years before this aired. Right. But that type of comedy is very incongruous, not only with modern 1961 TV, but certainly with a show like The Twilight Zone, which is very cerebral, often very dark. Uh, so it, it, it's 
it's a little weird. It's a little like watching children's theater, <laughs> you know, where everything is telegraphed to the audience and it, it, it takes you out of the reality of a very unreal situation. So yeah. it, 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 it's odd. Yeah. Yeah. That like the alley oop uh, was a little bit of a trademark. I think that was his dad's mm -hmm. trademark. He was able to do that, like, you know, basically put both legs up on the table or something. Mm -hmm. nice. <laughs> and um, nice. when Donald O'Connor was playing Buster Keaton a few years earlier, that was one of the things he could not do. So they, because I think oh, they wow. wanted that to be in the movie and he just like couldn't figure it out. So, wow. Um, a, a little different yeah. in this one. I don't think it was the, the, the full dad trick, but, you know, the, just those little touchstones in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and watching a lot of the the class the twenty stuff, I does his comedy not quite work as well simply physically because he is older. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was uh, one of the reasons. Other reasons I, I've been um, hardcore in Keaton is we had this coming up and the the blank check podcast has been doing all Keaton this month. So I don't follow that. Nice. And yeah. and they come up with the point that um, one of the things that's funniest about him is he looks tired all the time <laughs> like he doesn't <laughs> right. like he doesn't care about his victories you know yeah but at age 67 looking tired all the time isn't funny <laughs> <laughs> that's true he was the great stone face and that, that that was the part of the gag was just not reacting to things but part of the gag was when you watch a keaton film uh and the most recent one that i watched all the way through is the general but i'm i'm familiar with a lot of the gags that he did over time is that they are so complex and they are so choreographed to within the inch on screen. I mean, there's that the the famous shot of him standing in front of the building that the the facade just falls down over him and his body passes through the open window while that facade falls down. And and he stays perfectly still during that. And again, no reaction, no facial reaction at all. And stuff like that is really pushing the technique to the limit here we're on a tv budget and you've got a 67 year old keaton and you've got kind of everything scaled down a bit so it, it it's it, it lacks some of the wow factor that you would get from just watching a buster keaton movie from when keaton was in his prime now, i did a fear fear I experimented on my five-year-old students. <laughs> no, nice. during, as one does. Yeah. During snack time, I put on, last week I put on, um, you know, the the start of the astral projection stuff in Sherlock Jr. And okay. at, at first the kids are looking, I'm, what, what are you doing? What are you making me, uh, why did you put this on? <laughs> Within two minutes, they were like laughing at it uproariously. You know, once oh, it gets to him, great. once he's on screen, it's cutting from like, ridiculous situation a ridiculous situation yeah. um the lions were there and the unit was animals so it still kind of fit right a few days yeah. ago i put on the uh the, the the stampede from the end of go west uh, that mm. one did not take as well though they did like seeing all the cows but yeah it didn't yeah. quite have the uh the firepower of that sherlock jr but yeah i mean that right. you know i'm making five-year-old kids in 2023 like properly laugh which Good. i i didn't think they Good. were going to you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially after the first 10 seconds, I was like, ooh, this is, yeah, that was a bad call. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, but the, the stuff holds up. And, it, and, and I'm, I, I'm not saying that this episode doesn't hold up, but I think 
you know, Keaton at his peak is a very different thing from Keaton here. And they're, they're playing to what they think the audience wants out of Keaton from this time. And it, it's just not as sharp. It's not as epic and impressive as what he was doing so many years before. But that that's it's not his fault. <laughs> he's an older guy and he's working in a different medium with different parameters. It's just going to be different. Um, but a, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the mugging for the camera, a lot of the really exaggerated physical stuff. Um, it, it, it takes me enough out of what could potentially be the existential horror of, you know, being transported to a time where you absolutely don't fit in both directions, which is part of the fun of this story. Well, I'll, I'll give, I was actually looking at my iPad here to check the album title, but I guess this is basically the, uh, akin to the who's W H O album. <laughs> quite quite good but if you put it up to who's next it's yeah, yeah right right <laughs> but right. it's still kind of enjoyable um yeah. I, on a uh, conversely i think my favorite bowie album is black star which would be kind of his once upon a time sort of um trip yeah yeah sure <laughs> so i mean it can work the other way too but <laughs> yeah yeah but but i i think what's like for us, we're coming at this from our perspective in 2023 and growing up on the media diet that we did. I think it's something that we really can't appreciate is that for the audience watching this for the very first time, you had you had two potentially. You had people who, well, yeah, they they were getting it new. Maybe they weren't familiar, but I I think that's probably the minority you had a lot of people who knew exactly who Buster Keaton was, who knew his earlier work. And I think even more interesting than that, you had an audience who potentially grew up during the time that this episode starts. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, or, or maybe if they didn't necessarily grow up, then they could have potentially been born then because we're only talking about a 65 year is that right? Or no, 70 year yeah. difference between when the episode starts and, and when it takes place. So there are potentially people who remember or very close to remembering this period when the world looked like this, when it, when it looked like 1890s small town America, and then what it changed into, what it became when you know, Woodrow Mulligan lands in modern contemporary 1960s America. Yeah, I, I if I were to play with the script a little bit, I would have made it 1895 match Keaton's actual birth year, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Which is also, I think, I think that's the same year as the Lumiere brothers, you know, the, the train at station sort of stuff. Mm, yeah, right. So Keaton's yeah. basically the same age as the movies. So yeah. I, I would have played yeah. on that a little more. Um, oh, although my snarky comment here is so if sound did not exist before 1927, <laughs> there's no video before 18 or 90. That, that means the world is only like 130 years old and some change. That's it. Can't, can't <laughs> prove it's not. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Get, into, get into an argument with creationists about that. The world's only 130 years old. <laughs> it's 3,000 and something. <laughs> that, that would be a great argument to have. Um, oh, yeah. Let me... Uh, I have a few... Oh, I never said my favorite joke is the the bicycle um, speeds. The, the oh, speed yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like those uh, quite eight well. Eight miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Racing yeah. bicycles can go 10. I like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> as a guy who just finished doing a podcast on the prisoner uh harmony is not the town you want to be in uh you will <laughs> you will get your butt kicked there yeah and um my my one other observation is is, is a little more meaty um <laughs> I, okay in in my um keaton blitz i also read his autobiography which is uh my my wonderful world of sopstick i believe is the title with a ghostwriter uh, but uh okay i read that where he's basically like yeah, I had a few rough years there, but uh, you know, it, life has been good. Uh, he's like, yeah, my father tossed me all over the place, but that's what we did. And in the end, you know, he he seemed like, especially the guy who's famous from age five, you know, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> that, like the, his autobiography is relatively uplifting. So after that, I went and I I just found because I could buy a PDF. I started looking at a memoir or a biography from the '90s, which was like totally like tortured artist stuff within yeah. i'm like I'm like wait a minute <laughs> i mean i guess he could have been full of it but i i feel like i'm gonna trust what the autobiography a little more and that the guy like enjoyed his life in the end <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um, definitely saying the 30s were not the best for him and uh <laughs> no <laughs> but uh better better than for what brad pitt or whatever so yeah <laughs> <laughs> True. I'm honestly in the middle of that movie, so I, I have I've not finished watching Babylon yet, um, which I started watching because Mike Richards sold it as a gritty reboot of Singing in the Rain. It's like, yeah, yeah sure, okay. <laughs> well, like he he's not. Yeah, he he's not wrong. That movie certainly fetishizes Singing in the Rain. Um, I well, we'll we'll talk about it when you're done with it. Yeah, I'll have to I, finish that yeah. one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are there any other big observations you want to throw out on this one? Uh, not, not particularly. I, I, I think this is a lighthearted, fun episode that, that gets at something that always drives me a little crazy, which um, is typified by uh, the first day in class. I, I even forget which class it was, but it, it was when I was in college, freshman in New York at Fordham. And one of my professors was, uh, he was probably in his 70s. He, he was older than the average professor there. And our first day, he handed out this page that was this diatribe about how, you know, we, we don't have it as good now. And this was in the 90s. We don't have it as good now as we did, you know, back in his day and call it whatever, the 50s, the 40s, whatever it was. And it was this long list of things that, that was like, you know, back then, gay meant happy. And back then, you, you know, a Coke was a nickel. And but it, it was just all this kind of whiny, bitchy stuff about the past. And in my head, and I wish I'd done it to this day, I wish I had done it. Because in my head, I had this response about all the things that were wrong <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that ha have shown progress 
you know, not to say that we live in a perfect time now or the 90s <laughs> at all, but all the things that are progress compared to those things, you know, and, and not, not, to, not to diminish that there were great things about the past. Um, but I, I think it's so awful to pigeonhole a time that is your particular favorite and say like, oh, no, th this is when things were good. This is when they were right. And everything after that is awful and wrong. Um, and that, that stuck with me. And I think that there's something sad about the heart of this episode about what both of these guys want that is an unrealistic expectation. You know, here's uh, here's Keaton's character who just wants to to get away, and he thinks that in the future we will have figured it all out, and that that is part of the futurist in me that hopes that the future is a, a better trajectory than where we are today. You hope that things will look better, but realistically, there's just more. There's more of it. And there's a lot of noise to deal with and a lot of new problems to deal with. And then you got uh, Rollo's character, uh, Stanley Adams' character, Rollo, who just wants the peace and quiet of the past. And when he gets there, he can't deal with it because he doesn't have those creature comforts that he loves about his time. So neither of these guys is satisfied being displaced from what they know. Um, although I, I think it would be I, I remember reading an interesting article I've referenced every now and then uh, about how it would be easier from somebody uh, for somebody who uh, say what is a, an adult in the 1950s to time travel forward in the future than it would be for say somebody from the 1890s to travel the same distance. So somebody from the 1890s, let's fast forward them 50, 60 years or somebody from the 1950s, fast forward them 50, 60 years, it would be much, much easier for the person who is settled in their world in the 1950s because they have things like cars and airplanes and telephones and TVs and all of that is very common and, and, and like understandable technology for them. Somebody from the 1890s, if you suddenly put them into a post-World War II uh, you know, urban environment, they're going to have a really difficult time learning everything new. Not yeah. to say that they can't, but it, it would be much more difficult. Yeah, if we go back to 1963, the food's better, right? Hell yeah! <laughs> that is a multi-reference. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved that show. Yeah, but yeah, and, and it is interesting that this episode is right at as we're doing this now. It's pretty much a halfway point, 1890 to this episode. This episode to us. Yeah, uh, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it almost yeah. works out perfect. Uh, uh, Ten years off, I guess. But yeah, yeah. that's pretty wild and, to think about. And it's interesting to see, like, okay, if you make a period piece today about the 1890s there are no firsthand witnesses you can talk to <laughs> you know and unfortunately it is a well-recorded time and uh you, you can watch a show now like um you, you know downton abbey or uh what was the one i uh, the gilded age you know about a very specific slice of society but you have to recreate all of that based on books based on the you know bare minimum of film footage and some archival like costumes and furniture and stuff like that um but a show in 1960 
referencing 1890, you could probably go talk to somebody at the studio and say, hey, does that look authentic? <laughs> you know, you could say like, what what would a little, uh, you know, what, what would this little office, this little professor's place look like? And uh, would there be chickens hanging out on the side of the road and hanging out on the, on the, the uh, storm doors? Yeah, probably so. So yeah, throw some chickens in there. That that'll make it look right. No, you you mentioned the the film school thing. So I guess my my best and this is a, actually a pretty good old Hollywood uh, run in was also my film class, which I don't remember what year I took it, but uh, we were showing the the miracle of Morgan's Creek, mm, um, mm-hmm. with a, a, a guest intro from Eddie Bracken. So he's there, and then he oh. comes and they they screen the movie. He comes sits directly next to me and is just kind of like reminiscing a little bit as the movie's playing so <laughs> like that was more interesting than the little speech he gave beforehand right yeah, <laughs> yeah you know right. oh, yeah she was nice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um cool. he, he was a pretty class it was, he was in his 80s by then but he was a pretty wow. class dude with the run-in so uh, he was talking maybe a little bit too much over the movie but hey he's the star so you can do that <laughs> yeah that's the thing See, I, I love uh there was a a rabbit hole that i went down one time because I, I was watching how Holbrook do uh, his Mark Twain thing. And, and I, I always wondered like, did Mark Twain's voice exist on, uh, on a recording somewhere? And apparently not, but there is a recording of somebody who knew him well, was an actor and apparently world renowned for doing voice imitations of the people that he knew. So somebody recorded him doing Mark Twain. And apparently it was as close as you could get, you know, of course, as close as anybody can get to doing a, a pitch perfect imitation of somebody. Um, and I was like, well, well, that's cool. Then a piece of tape exists that is as close as you can get to somebody who was there, who heard what he sounded like and could replicate that, you know, but go back far enough and you completely run out of that. The, the, the word on the street is you did not want to hear Abraham Lincoln make a speech. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've heard that too. But of course, we all go to Disneyland and you see great moments with Mr. Lincoln and Walt hired his favorite actor to do the voice because it would be commanding. It would be, you know, but somewhere there's got to be a recording of somebody who heard Lincoln <laughs> trying to imitate his voice. I would love to hear that. On a cylinder somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's let's get through the questions that each episode yeah. gets to eventually. The first being, who in this episode went into the Twilight Zone? Uh, two guys, Mulligan and Rollo. So uh, Keaton and and Adams. I think they both did. And I'm, uh, yeah, see, I'm actually going to go with the audience. I think Keaton is such an icon by this point. Like it's uh, almost like I mean he is the Twilight Zone. His his twenties, you know. Um, poker face the stone face that yeah. that is him looking at you in the 20s is the twilight zone and seeing him in 1961 you know is, is kind of the <laughs> twilight zone like i kind of feel right. like i feel like this is the episode the most twilight zone to me uh again i've been not just this episode but just been having a full-on obsession for the month of may <laughs> good good i i love hearing that man that's a good obsession to have so I mean, you probably have the right answer, of course, but no, <laughs> but, no, but 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 I like that. I, 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 I mean, from the beginning, we've been talking about how this kind of is dependent upon audience perspective in so many ways, right? So I think the trip it sent me on means I went through the twilight zone in this episode, which nice. is, is is great. Um, That's awesome. 
Well, well, let's ask first. Did um, I forgot this? Uh, not Jafferty, McCafferty. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> Mulligan. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but by the way, you know who didn't go through the Twilight Zone and and just the biggest missed opportunity? Here's Professor Gilbert who invents the time helmet. And what does he do? He doesn't put it on. He's like, I created this thing. It works. Let's go somewhere else and celebrate. He's scared of Gilbert, sparklers. You're an idiot. <laughs> you're okay. An idiot. So he did. Well, he deserved not going into the Twilight Zone. Exactly. Then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so these other two guys deserve their chance to see a different time and get, you know, off put by it. <laughs> oh, they had to. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, look. They're not presented as the brightest bulbs, shall we say? They're they're both kind of eh, they're both just kind of opportunists. They're they're just sort of floating along in life. I think they're lacking a little bit of uh, perspective or deep thought about certain topics. So I think they needed this. I think both of them needed the little wake up call uh, to to slap them back into some uh, acceptance of their own reality. Here's a mistake. They gave him a name. He's a um, Mulligan, right? His yeah. name should have been Curmudgeon, you know, because in the because <laughs> in the twenties, no, in the twenties they have like you know, in Go West, his character's name is Friendless. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I would have I would have gone with Curmudgeon for just Curmudgeon. for fun. <laughs> that was great. Uh, but and and I totally deserved my trip in the Twilight Zone. It's, it's been it's been fun. I still have like three or four movies to go and some shorts if I want to. So. Good man, send us postcards from <laughs> the Twilight Zone. That's uh, I'm glad you made it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah. uh, how about for the tripometer, zero to five? Uh, I, look, I, it, time travel is the ultimate trip. It's the trip that all of us want. Uh, so I get that. But as far as the profundity of that trip, I think it's pretty mild. I think it's right in the middle at like a two and a half. Because again, the, these aren't the smartest guys who are going through it. They really, they could have picked up the same knowledge from a book. Um, so it, it's a fun romp for them until they realize that they are fish out of water and they just really need to be back where they belong. Uh, but that's not a particularly deep or trippy experience for them to have. So the, the trippiness is you open your eyes with the sparkler helmet on and you go, wow, I'm in a different place. And th this is weird and uncomfortable. Now I just want to get back home. So I, the, the, the trippiness of it is pretty insignificant. Uh, so two and a half is where I'm going to land. Okay. See, my answer, I'm not even going to think about the time travel. I'm just going to go into the, this has been sending, just the synchronicity of events has been, <laughs> I had me reading books, watching hours of movies, 3.5 for, because it, uh, it, it you took a trip. That's it, why. Yes, I took yeah. a trip. And I mean, yeah. it, it, I'm getting back. Uh, oh, the, the one story I definitely was going to tell in this podcast. So I, I should do that. When I was about 20, you know, that's the first time when they, I, I think that's, maybe a little older maybe that's when kino lorber's getting the videos out or whatever of keaton yeah um and, and i remember one day in university uh just deciding uh, i was going with my girlfriend to play like squash or whatever at the university health center uh mm. gym center the university of georgia has its massive athletics building for that but uh 
just deciding when we left the dorm to just do my Buster Keaton impression all night. So, <laughs> so I, did, I think I didn't talk to her the whole way there. And then when we're playing squash, I'm just like doing weird tumbles on the floor and stuff and not changing my expression. Oh my God. And, and I was like, I forgot how much my shtick is actually doing that in class. <laughs> like, like, cause some kids think that's too serious. Cause I basically tend to do my own little stone face in classes. Nice. For, yeah. And, and, you know, like one of, one of the things is when I'm demoing how we're going to do the, uh, you know, phonics game, you run up to the board from in the right place. Mm-hmm. I'll always, you know, and I use the timer. So I'll demonstrate first. And I'll always go into like a full sprint, but where I'm like only moving like very slowly, uh, <laughs> doing my, my best, my best uh, stone face. <laughs> nice. nice. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is, it's not like I just got obsessed with this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh I guess we'll we'll pull this one in, into the into the tank. I don't know what that means. Um this is this is a pretty now episode, so uh, you can you can tell folks what's on mission log this week, which is next week for you, but Yeah, yeah. Uh so we have Rise coming out. I, I just prepped that and then right after that will be um Oh Favorite Son, where you get to see, <laughs> you know, Harry Kim's magnificent chest. Uh, and a little, uh, little light bondage, you know, so it's, uh, you know, watershed episode. 50 shades of Harry. That's nice. I run the discord. <laughs> exactly. <list. laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Can't wait for people to see those. As for this, it is time enough podcast. It's time enough pod on Twitter. That's the best place to find me. Cause that's where I, that's actually kind of my personal Twitter now too. <laughs> nice. Good. Um, uh, you can support us on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius, where we do way too many podcast films and filth. The Citizen Kane of Podcasting is where we talk about the 100 best and the 100 worst films as rated by IMDb users. Uh, you are on the actual Citizen Kane, which comes out pretty soon. Man, I can't wait. That was that, a great conversation. Thank you June, for letting June, me do that. Oh, yeah, right on. June 15th. So that's actually still in everyone cool. else's future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I caught Disney where we talk about the weird side of Disney movies. Uh, a, a lot of stuff about like we're the original about the original authors and the weird societies they were part of and stuff like that. It's nice. kind of interesting. Yes. Uh my brain stopped working. Okay, there's video game ones, which I'm not on. Luke Loves Pokemon is about all the Pokemon families. Hyrule Field Report is about the Zelda games. And Game Game Show is a game show with gamers gaming each other. Whew. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm going to... I don't know. This is this is my best time helmet within reach. I can... Oh, that's, I, that is a great time helmet. Put some sparklers on that. You're It'll set. Burn. It'll burn. <laughs> uh, this is <laughs> my wife hates this hat, by the way. But I live in the mountains, so it's uh, necessary. You in need winter. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, I'm sure we can get some LED sparklers. I'm sure that now there's a safe, non-flaming way to do that. It is the 21st century, after all. Or I could just start wearing this for all the podcasts and talking like this, eh? (laughs) I do my strange brew every week. (laughs) Okay, later, folks. (laughs) On ceremonies, platform. 
Where we travel station to station Working at the palette of sound Colors to paint this creation And now this group of dust appears as it hails from Machu Picchu None of us in need of country Just only lives hullabaloo Got two feet on the ground Here in this location No need to train in vain When you're spellbound To dive into fascination Far beyond destination How it's ever been the journey Towards the soul's elevation And he says, keep it hyper real Don't you dare live vicarious You're multifarious He was that old sage of Aquarius God on the ground Here in this location No need to train in vain When you're spellbound To dive into fascination Leaping beyond your medulla And hey, there's way much more to you Than would ever meet your third eye And wax from your Icarus wings Into sun to calcify At two feet on the ground Here in this location Need to train in vain When you spellbound To dive into fascination Be forever prepared For strange encounters Strange